Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now, here's our associate pastor to families, Tony Richmond. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 will be our text for this morning. And the title of today's sermon is The Affections and Practices of a Spirit-Filled Church. The Affections and Practices of a Spirit-Filled Church. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. The word says this, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of all, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The affections and practices of a spirit-filled church. Now last Sunday we gathered in this room to celebrate the holiday that we call Easter, an incredible celebration focused around the resurrection of Christ. The fact that we serve a Savior who's not dead, that He rose from the dead. And for thousands of years, Christians have been gathering every Sunday morning commemorating that truth of the resurrection. But the Gospels go on to tell us that after Jesus rose from the dead, He actually appeared to many people and continued some of His teaching. For instance, one of the things that Jesus taught throughout His life, especially to His disciples, was this truth that it was better for Jesus to leave them Because when he left them, he would send the Holy Spirit to be with them, who would be this counselor and this comforter to come alongside them. And so Jesus sought to encourage them with this truth that although Jesus was going to go to the grave, he's going to die on the cross, go to the grave, and be resurrected, that he wouldn't be with them forever in bodily but that His Spirit would be. So, in the book of Acts, we get to read and experience the story of what happened when the Spirit did come. And at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, 
you will remember that when the Spirit came, it happened in a very supernatural way. There was wind and there were visions. And one of the incredible things that happened was that there were people there who understood languages that they didn't even speak. I don't know if you remember, but at that time, there were people from all over the known land who had gathered in Jerusalem. And when the Spirit of God came upon these people, they started to be able to understand languages that they had never studied, that they had not known. Well, there were some folks on the outside who saw these things happening. And they begin to question, what's going on here? What kind of craziness are we experiencing? And in the middle of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, no, this is not crazy. This is a fulfillment of something that Jesus promised. And so Peter begins preaching a gospel message, talking about what Jesus did when he came to the earth and that he died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again and that they were seeing the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that he would send his spirit and that his people would be his witnesses empowered by his spirit to take the gospel message all over the earth. And the Bible records what happens at the end of Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, look in verse 37. Peter preaches a gospel sermon in Acts 2, 37. Here's what happened. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. See, the Spirit of God used the proclaimed word of God to redeem about 3,000 souls. But one of the things I want you to see here at the end of verse 49 is this vocabulary that's used. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? To what were they added? They were added to the church. You see, when Jesus saves a lost soul, they are saved to Himself. He saves them so that they have a relationship with the Father. And yet at the same time, we are saved into a body of believers. That's called the church. And anytime we begin to talk about what is the church, 
even a definition of what the church is, you have all sorts of various discussions and opinions about, well, this is a church. This is what a church should be. Here's what a church should look like. But I want to submit to you today that in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find four practices or affections of every healthy church. And brothers and sisters here at First Baptist Keller, that's what we want to be. We want to be a healthy church because there's lots of different kinds of churches, right? Churches exist in all sorts of shapes and sizes. Some are big, some are small. Some are rural, some are urban. Some are simple, some are ornate. But when we look at the scriptures for our direction, these factors are unimportant. The factor that God is concerned about with every true church, it's not its size. It's not the ornate details of the building. It's not uh, the common makeup of the people within it. What God is concerned about with every true church is that church's health. And so as a result, we here at First Baptist Keller want to be a healthy church. We want to be a body of believers that does it God's way. And so we see these things outlined here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. But before we get there, I need to say this. One of the discussions that happens around narrative passages like the Gospels and especially the book of Acts is to what degree are these passages descriptive and to what degree are these passages prescriptive? Are you with me? So there's a difference. Is this simply just describing something that happened at one specific church or is there some prescription that we find here that we should take on to understand the nature of every healthy church? So what we don't want to do and say, we need to become a clone of this first church. Look, those churches, and if you read the rest of the New Testament, they all had their issues, right? They were made up of sinners like us, and they were not perfect churches. But I will submit to you today that these four affections or practices that we find in Acts 2.42 are directives for every healthy church. And we want to get these right. So let's get into them. The first thing in verse 42 that we see is this phrase, they were continually devoted. Now what does it mean if someone is devoted to something? Or if a group of people is devoted to a common thing? Well, it could be said that devotion is some sort of committed perseverance, right? One author talks about this kind of devotion in terms of rhythm. It's consistency, right? It's constant. It's persistent. And I'm not a musical person, but I can understand the rhythm of a song, right? Even for me, I can tap my foot to the beat and I'm not 
um, a musical theorist, but it's my understanding that that song needs to maintain a certain rhythm throughout the duration of the song. Well, for this type of devotion, that's what we can think about. It's not a one time or, or something that we get excited about for a limited period of time. It's something that's consistent. And in that way, brothers and sisters, I think it's somewhat ordinary. What the Lord is calling us to be and to do as a church, it's somewhat ordinary. You all have received the mailers in your mailboxes at home. You've seen the billboards from churches trying to describe what they're about and what they're trying to do. And here are some of the words we see. Epic. Extreme. Experiential. Innovative. Radical. Relevant. Trendy. These are words that people have used to try to describe what they're accomplishing as a church. But... I submit to you based on the Word of God today that what the Lord is calling us to are four ordinary rhythms that in doing these things will produce health and spiritual life in our midst. The first one is this. The Scripture says they were continually devoting themselves to number one, the apostles' teaching. They were devoting themselves to the Word of God. They were devoting themselves to studying the Scriptures. Now, one of the things that we could miss in studying this passage of Scripture is we know that many of those who came to faith in Christ were Jews. And so they had a familiarity with the Word of God. But what happened when the Spirit came into their life and gave them spiritual life is that the Spirit gave them a new humility to read the Scriptures in light of the work of Christ. That they gained a new understanding of what the Scriptures were about. So they began to listen and they began to sit under the teaching of God's Word as the authority in their lives. And some people hear this word doctrine or theology and they're sort of scared away from it. That maybe doctrine or theology is something for seminary students or something for those people to do that don't have anything else better to do except read books on theology or something like that. But brothers and sisters, the study of God's truth should be a normal and consistent pattern that's evident in every healthy church. We have to know God's Word. We have to love God's Word. We have to have an affection for the Word of God. This is the way that we grow. The Scriptures over and over talk about how the Word of God is our meat. It's our milk. It's the nourishment that our souls need 
in order to grow. And if we are starved from the Word of God individually, and if we become starved from the Word of God corporately, our church and our lives individually will shrivel up and die and be unhealthy and ineffective for the cause of Christ in the world. We have to be committed to the Word of God as our nourishment. First, Peter chapter 2, verse 2, says it like this, like newborn babies long for the spiritual milk. Because it, what, it is what brings the growth about in our lives. And brothers or sisters, you may be sitting here today and you may be asking yourself the question, Lord, why don't you use me more? Lord, why is it that it seems like in my life I want to be used by you? I want to walk with you. I want to do good things. I want to go and share the gospel, but it just doesn't seem like you are using me very much. Maybe it's because there's not this affection for the Word of God in your life. And your spirit is literally starved of that spiritual nourishment that each one of us need. And we need as a church body uh, coming together. You know, I don't get the sense here from Acts chapter 2 that these people were um, okay with this idea of coming to church once a week and opening their Bibles when the pastor says, open, and then closing their Bibles until they met again the next Sunday. What this seems to be communicating was these people couldn't live without the Word of God in our lives. It was such an affection. It was such a devotion. It was such a work of the Spirit in their life that just as we desire food every day when we wake up for our physical nourishment, we have that same desire for the spiritual food of God's Word in our life to grow our spirits. I heard one uh, pastor illustrate it like this. You know, the, the disciples were a devoted group. So he said he uh, heard the story once of a foreign exchange student that had come from a European country to live here in the United States during the school year. And she got placed somewhere in the south with a family. And she journaled what her experience was like on Sunday morning when they got up and got ready for church and the happenings there. And here's what she wrote. It seemed like all week leading up to this event, there was not very much thought put into it. Not very much preparation. In fact, it seemed sort of like an afterthought. We got there 10 minutes after the published start time. We stood in silence as some people around us mouthed the words to some songs. Everybody seemed to be somewhat disengaged. And then they were checking their watches about 20 minutes into the pastor's sermon as if they couldn't hardly wait until the final prayer was prayed. They left and they didn't talk about it very much all week. 
Then she went on to write. Let me tell you about Saturday. All week there was excitement building up to this event. Preparations were made. Food was prepared. Guests were confirmed. We showed up one hour early to the event, hanging out in the parking lot, eating food before the event even started. We stood for two and a half hours straight, cheering at the top of our lungs to some event happening with about 22 boys on a green field. After the game ended, the crowd erupted when it was announced that the game would go into extra time. Then they stayed in the parking lot afterwards celebrating and that was the focus of their discussion all week. Brothers and sisters, to what were those people devoted? Where are their affections pointed? Now don't care the wrong thing. There's nothing wrong with going to a football game and cheering for your team and having fun with your friends and making preparations and eating good food and even cheering when your team wins in overtime. But that should pale in comparison to the excitement and to the joy and to the energy that we feel and experience in our souls when the Spirit of God leads us to the Word of God. We must be devoted to the Word of God. Secondly, they were devoted to fellowship, the Scripture says. Not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching, they were devoted to relationships, to fellowship. Now, the core relationship in Christianity is the relationship that happens inside of the Godhead. In Christianity, we worship one God who exists in three persons. And within those three persons, there is perfect relationship. There's perfect harmony and unity. And what happens is when we're born again by the Spirit of God, We are brought into that relationship. And we get to experience the harmony and the unity and the joy of that relationship. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says it like this. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that we have peace with God, we can call Him our Father. We can praise and have relationship with the Son because we're co-heirs with Christ. We can have relationship with the Spirit as the Scriptures talk about as we walk with the Spirit and as He testifies to us and for us that we are children of God. So one Spirit-empowered evidence of a healthy church is that they love God. But another one is that we love others. Not only are we called into a relationship with God, we're called into a commitment, a covenant relationship 
with one another. The word, the Greek word used here in our text that's translated relationship is a word that means to have in common. We have something in common. And this is one of the most incredible truths about the reality of the church for me personally. That what joins us together, what we have in common, is not economic status. It's not level of education. It's not political affiliation. It's not the color of our skin. It's not the place that we grew up. It's not even the language that we speak. What brings us together is the grace of God in our lives. The fact that Jesus has saved us, that's the framework for our unity. That's the framework for our common bond is that we all have a testimony. And that testimony is this. We were once lovers of self. We were once sinners who had no hope. And by God's grace, He led us and helped us to see those truths and to repent of our sins and to believe in Christ. And now by His grace, we are born again. That's what brings us together a common confession. So that's why we get excited about church membership. That's why we get excited about this fellowship because since we've experienced the love of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God, the patience of God, the compassion with God, now we are enabled to do that for each other. So that the New Testament says, what are we to be doing? Loving one another. Forgiving one another. Bearing one another's burdens. You see, brothers and sisters, that's why we're called when we're saved into a body. Because we need it. There's two truths that I think is inherent within this idea of fellowship and unity and community. Number one, it's this. You have a spiritual gift that we as a body need for you to bring to bear in our lives. If there is one member of First Baptist Keller that is not using their spiritual gift for the edification of the body, we are not as healthy as we ought to be or as we could be. Every one of us. So I want you, you members who are here today, maybe you've struggled to find a place where you can use your gifts for the edification of the body. That's why we're here. We're here to help you, to equip you, and to help you to find a place where you can use your spiritual gifts for the edification of the body because we all need it. But the other side of this is true as well. You need the body in your lives. You need others to come around you and to serve you and to build you up and to encourage you and to say, brother, sister, I know you've been going through some hard things, but I've got your back. 
and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to support you. As we read the passage, you probably saw the outflow of this. Nobody told them to start doing this. This was a natural response to the Spirit's work in their lives. And they said, oh, our brother and sister over here has a need. Everything I have can be for sale. Whatever it takes to meet the needs of the body, that's what we're going to do. So you see this incredible fellowship and relationship that's going on in the life of the church that's so important for our health. In our church covenant, the second article of our covenant is an article on fellowship. And here's what it says. We assemble together regularly to worship, to encourage one another, and to meet one another's spiritual, physical, and emotional needs as we study the Bible together. That's straight from Acts 2. This is what we are called to do, to be devoted to God's Word and to be devoted to one another. But thirdly, not only are they devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the Scriptures say in verse 42 that they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now there's been some discussion about specifically what this means. But I think it can mean both the, the idea of sharing a meal together and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Because you'll remember when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room with His disciples, what were they doing? They were sharing a meal together. And the Scripture says, at the end of that meal, Jesus took a piece of bread and instituted this Idea And so one of the ways that Christians in those days started to facilitate this idea of remembering Christ was by partaking in a meal together. Very Baptist thing to do, right? Let's get together and eat. So they would have literally what they would call a love feast. And they would share a meal together, as was certainly common in that culture, but at the end of that meal, it would turn into this worship service where their attention was directed to the body of Christ and the bread and the blood of Christ with the wine. So they were committed to worship. And sometimes we hear this word worship, our minds automatically think about singing. And certainly singing is a way that we can worship. But what we're talking about here is simply that worship is a response to the revelation of God. When God reveals himself to people, his people respond. And that's worship. So the question is this. Had God revealed himself to these people? Absolutely to the tune of about 3,000 souls being saved. And so it's as if, as a result of that, they couldn't help but worship. They couldn't help but come together on a regular basis and to set their minds on the work of Christ. And so that's why when we gather every week 
in this room, we pray this and we say this. This is not an event that's here to focus on anybody on this stage. The reason that we gather is to think deeply about the person and work of Christ, just as they did in the very first days of the early church. A healthy church's attention and devotion is focused away from individual people and on the cross of Christ. They're devoted to worship. And lastly, they were devoted to prayer. Ordinary. If you go to a church growth conference, you will not hear experts telling church leaders, if you want to grow your church, get your people in a prayer meeting. In fact, many of them would probably say, that's a good way to kill your church. But brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you today that if we want to be a healthy church, if we want to be a spirit-filled church, we will be a prayerful church. Experts who have studied revivals and awakenings and great movements of God in history have said one of the common themes that occurs in these times is God sets His people to prayer. I don't know about you, but in my life, when things get busy, when my attention is not focused, when I'm not disciplined, one of the first things to go is prayer. Shame on me. Shame on us. May God create within us a devotion and a desire to God's Word, to fellowship, to coming together in corporate worship, but may He make us a people of prayer that say, oh Lord, this is not about us. There's nothing we're totally dependent upon You. We're asking You to do a work among us that can only be explained by the fact that You did it. God, would you do these things in our lives individually and in our lives corporately at FBC Keller? Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word. Lord, thank you that you don't need innovative, you don't need extreme or radical, you don't need thinking outside the box. Lord, you just simply need obedience. And thank you that we have this model in Scripture that healthy churches are devoted to your word. Their affections are more centered on serving the needs of others than they are themselves. That they're attention is focused on the finished work of Christ and on prayer. And as a result, you send your people out to share the gospel. Lord, as we read through 
the book of Acts, we see your people who are on fire to go and share this good news of Christ. And the end of this passage we talked about today says, and the Lord added to their number day by day. Lord, you didn't need extreme. You just needed and desired healthy, ordinary rhythms that are spirit-driven, that are God-ordained, that change our lives. Individually, and they change our life corporately. So God, I would pray for a person who maybe is here today and they've been searching for the extreme. They've been searching for the hidden key that could open up a new door for something more exciting in their spiritual life. Lord, help them to see that these ordinary practices, these regular rhythms that are done over a consistent, in a consistent way, over an extended period of time, are used by you to bring about this spiritual growth. God, we want to be a healthy church, not for our namesake, but for yours, so that we could go and share the gospel and be your witnesses wherever you call us to go. Lord, help each one of us to think about the realities of these truths and how they apply to our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.